Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. I hope you are enjoying. Everybody enjoying this beautiful weather? Like 30 degrees difference from a week, week ago. This has been awesome. Uh, tonight, uh, before we dive into part two of our series tonight, you probably already know this, but I wanted to invite you back. Maybe you're watching online, couldn't be here this morning, but you can be here tonight. Uh, we're going old school and we're doing Sunday night church tonight. You, some of you grew up and it was, that's the way you grew up. You went to church on Sunday morning. You got your little choir practice in before Sunday night church, then you did Sunday night church, then you probably were at church a couple other nights of the week. But we are going to go old school tonight, and we're going to have Sunday night. It's actually, we do about once a quarter, we do a worship and prayer night. Uh, It's a great time to be together. Uh, It's a good time to connect. It's a good time, obviously, to worship God and spend some time in prayer as a gathering. And so tonight at 6.30, we'll have child care for uh, babies up to preschool. And so want to invite you back. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be fun. DVR the football game that you're watching and uh, come back and join us tonight. Uh, we're going to have a good time at 630. Uh, this past week, and you know this, a, a week ago today, uh, we had the 21st anniversary of 9-11. And uh, probably like me, when 9-11 comes around, sometimes it, it sneaks up on you. Uh, but this year it was on a Sunday, and so uh, for me, Sundays are a pretty big deal. So I, I was watching the dates, and, and uh, it came around, and I always look back just like you do, and maybe there's a documentary that I'll watch, or there's, you know, you'll see news coverage that'll talk about it, and you kind of remember the events, you remember the bravery of pe- pre- people, you remember the, just the tragedy, just how tragic that day was, and all that happened. But probably, if you're like me, it also kind of brings you back to 21 years ago. And so for me, when I think about 9-11 and I remember 9-11, it, it brings me back to what was going on in my life during that period of time. And I, I, I think back about it usually around this time of year. And, and for Lori and I, we, 21 years ago, we had been married for just about four years, going on four years. Uh, we were about a little over a month to six weeks away from having our first child. We lived in a, a little apartment building in Lakeland, Florida. And I can remember around this time being a, pretty much a train wreck from about September to the end of October, knowing that our first child was coming. And we were, we were new to this whole having a kid thing. And so I remember being pretty overwhelmed at times that I was going to be a dad. And I remember, and my wife could tell you about it, man, I was foggy that month leading up. I was running red lights. I couldn't sleep at night. I, I was just a, a little bit of a mess at times as I was, and I wasn't even the one that was going to have to like get their stomach cut open to have the kid. I just was going to be a dad. And I just remember thinking, man, 
There's, this is a lot. My life's changing, and I was expectant. Uh, I was nervous. Uh, I, I had a mix of emotion. There was some anticipation as I thought about being a dad. And you, if you're a parent, you understand this. Especially when you have your first kid, man, you, you have all these emotions that go into it because you begin to feel the weight of what it's like to be in charge of another human being and keep them alive. And, and I can remember about that time just, just wanting to be a good dad. I wanted to do a good job you know, raising my son. I wanted to do a good job protecting my son. I wanted to, you know, help my son flourish and, and just, just wanted to be a good dad. I wanted what was best for him. And, and so when he was born, I quickly joined the overprotective parent club. I remember my, the top prayer requests. I mean, you can look back at my prayer journals and you think, were you praying for a missionary, Chris? Were you praying for like some other thing? No, the very first prayer request in my prayer journal was that I prayed every single day was that no one would drop my son. I was so happy that he weighed over nine pounds because I thought, good, at least if you drop him, he's probably going to bounce. It's not going to hurt him as bad. I didn't want this little kid that, that I could hurt. And, and, and so I was the guy that was at church and the you know, older ladies would come up. They've been, uh, uh, they've been moms for decades. And I'm like, nope. You're not allowed to hold my son. You know, I was that guy, that overprotective. And don't, before you get, you know, laugh at me or kind of look, at, look down at me for my helicopter parenting tendencies, I'm guessing that there's some moms and dads, some grandmas and grandpas, some brothers and sisters, some uncles and aunts that I, I think I saw some of you at the overprotective family member club meetings. And, and you, you may understand that. And, and maybe you're a brother, maybe you're a grandma, but, but maybe you're a parent. But we've all maybe experienced that, man, where we just want to do a good job. We want to take care of those people that mean a lot to us. It doesn't matter what, what uh, kind of part you play in your family, what role you play, whether you are the parent, whether you are the brother, whether you are the grandparent or the uncle, None of us wants to be the reason that our family goes off the tracks. None of us wants to be the cause of the drama in our family, of the hurt in our family. Like, we, we want our family to flourish. Yet, we see this all the time. We, we see people that have a desire to help their family, that have a desire, if you were to talk to them, to see their family thrive. But yet, they make decisions that do the opposite. And so that's why over the last, this last week and, and over these next few weeks, we're delving into this series where we talk about what does it look like to position our family for God's best? Whether you're the, the son, whether you're the grandparent, whether you're the dad, the mom, the uncle, aunt, what does it look like for you to position the people you love the most for God's best. And last week we started this series by asking two questions that if we don't have the answers to those two questions, it's going to be really hard to position our family for God's best. We started with those two questions last week. And here's the first question we talked about last week. That's pretty important if we're going to position our family for God's best. And it's simply this. What does God say a win is? 
Like if we're, if we're trying to position our family for what is God's best and what God wants, then this is a pretty important question. We looked at this last week, like what does God really want? What does God want for my son? What does God want for my sister? What does God want for my girlfriend? What does God want for my grandkid? What does God want? What's his goal? And we looked at this verse, Romans 8, verse 29. And Paul wrote this, and it's really clear what God's goal is. It says this, For those he, being God, foreknew, he also predestined. What did he predestine them to do? To be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God's desire for your family, for my family, is that they become more like Jesus. That's God's goal. We talked about that last week. God's goal isn't that they make the all-star team. God's goal isn't that they have a high-paying job. God's goal, and, and none of those things, those things aren't wrong. And God might use those things to help them become more like his son. But his ultimate goal for every person in your family is that they become more like Jesus. That's what he wants. And so we ask ourselves a second question. And if you're a goal-oriented person, then this is a real important question for you as well. And, And you would probably lean into this question. And that question was this. So how does God measure my progress? So if if God's goal is pretty clear, his goal is that we become more like Jesus, his goal is that those in our family become more like Jesus, then how do I measure progress? Like, is there a, like this heavenly star chart that, hey, if if my, my dad makes good decisions or my grandson makes good decisions or my sister makes good decisions, I get points. But if they make bad decisions, do I lose points? Like, how does God measure progress? And and last week, we, we talked about this. We talked about how we are not responsible for the results. We have, in fact, no control over them. You have no control over whether your kid looks more like Jesus than they did last month. Like, you can't make them. You can't go in their heart and make them. If you have a burden for your mom or your dad, you you can't make them. God's not up there saying, hey, if you would get after it, they would become more like Jesus. If you would do what I tell you, you could manipulate the results and it would happen. But here's what God asked for. and We talked about this. God isn't looking to you and I for results. He's looking to you and I for faithfulness. He's looking to you and I to be faithful. He'll take care of the results. Those are up to him and the person. It's our responsibility to be faithful with what he gives us. To be faithful as a parent. To be faithful as a grandparent. To be faithful as a brother, as a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Whatever role you play. To be faithful. And so over the next few weeks, as we continue on in this series, because you know what? That's a great word. Okay, yeah, it should be faithful. What does that mean? I mean, I know what that means, but like faithful at what? Okay, I'll be faithful. I want to position my family for God's best, but like what do I need to be faithful in? And so over the next three weeks, we're going to talk each week about one thing 
that we can practically be faithful in to help us position our family and those we love the most for God's best. And this week, we're going to talk about the first one, and it's the most important, and it's foundational to the other two. And it's simply this, that we be faithful in our personal relationship with God. That you as a brother, you as a dad, you as a mom, you as an aunt, first be faithful in your personal relationship with God. In Philippians chapter 3, where we're going to look, Paul, the guy that wrote Philippians chapter 3, he tells us a little bit about his story. And what he does is, Paul, he's been a follower of Jesus for about 30 years, and he takes some time after 30 years of following Jesus, and he gives us some insight into how to have a faithful walk with God and what's important to that. In fact, he starts by telling us a little bit about his past and how, for a while, his religion actually hindered his relationship with God. And so that's kind of how he starts. He says this in Philippians chapter 3. It'll be up on the screen, or you can check out the app, and you'll, you'll see it there. Philippians 3, Paul says this. He says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. He's basically saying, hey, if anybody could brag about themselves and have confidence about themselves and what they have done, I'm the guy. If anybody could have confidence in the flesh, he goes on to say, that would be me. He says, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I, I, I would be the all-star if it was about kind of doing. And what he does is he kind of walks through a little bit of his spiritual resume. He says, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law. I'm blameless, faultless. Paul's, he says, you know what? I want to walk you through, and he real quickly does, I want to walk you through my resume so that you can see if anybody could earn favor with God, I'm the guy. And so he does. He walks through a little bit of his heritage. He's, he talks about how he was trained under one of the most, the, the smartest and most influential rabbis of the day. He sat at the feet of Gamil, one of the most influential rabbis of the day. He was a pure-blooded Israelite. He was from the highly respected tribe of Benjamin that actually was the tribe that produced the first king of Israel. He goes on and he talks about how he was educated as a Hebrew. And again, he's talking to Jewish people. And so he's basically checking all the boxes of, man, this guy has done it all. He's everything they look to as, as something to respect. He checked all the boxes. He says, you want to know about religion? I was a Pharisee. The, the Pharisees, they were like the, the all-stars of religion. They were the, the people that were at the very summit of religious practices of the day. The most strict. They kept the law stronger than anybody. Man, these guys were the, like the Navy SEALs of religion. They were, and he's like, I was one of them. He goes on to say, man, I had zeal. See, Paul, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't like a, a casual religious guy. He's like, man, I was zealous. I was passionate. 
He said, man, I, I even went so far. If anybody was against what I believed, I didn't just believe it. I defended it. I killed people and I smiled about it while I was doing it because I wanted to stop anybody that was going to mess with what I believed. I mean, he was zealous. He, he, was, get, he got after it. If anybody's religious resume could earn a strong relationship with God, Paul's like, I'm the guy. Maybe you can relate with that. Maybe you can relate with Paul's journey. Maybe you grew up in a system where you gained favor with God based on the good things that you did. If you fell into that, if you grew up in that system, you probably found yourself kind of in one of two categories, maybe both. You found yourself, maybe this was you, you were defeated. And what I mean by that is if you grew up in a system where you had to earn favor with God and you had to check all the boxes, if you wanted God to love you, then, then you may have been kind of grown up defeated. And here's what I mean. You never quite measured up. You, you felt maybe shame. You felt guilt. You may have walked away from the whole thing because you just could never keep all the rules. It was just too stressful. And so if that was what God was, and if that was how you please God, you're like, I can't do it. So you maybe just walked away from all of it. So maybe you found yourself defeated. Or maybe you found yourself in, in another category, maybe a more dangerous category, and you were proud. You, you were proud because here's why. You were pretty good at keeping the rules. Like you were pretty good at checking all the boxes. And so you, you found yourself, and you wouldn't say this out loud because you knew, knew this wasn't a good thing to say, but you found yourself almost looking down at other people that couldn't check the boxes as good as you did. They didn't quite measure up. This was Paul. Paul was in this category. Paul was the guy that was, he checked all the boxes. He was very zealous. He was very passionate about his religion. And he was proud of it. He was good at it. But here's the thing. Religion will not position your family for God's best. You're like, is a pastor, are you even allowed to say that? Isn't that what you are, like church? Isn't that what it is? No. And Paul found that out. Paul found out that, you know what, religion actually got in the way of God's best. It didn't position. And so, and here's what I mean, because some of you, you've experienced this. Because there's been a season in your life or a season in someone you love's life where they checked all the boxes religiously, but still made decisions while they were checking all the boxes that screwed up your family. And you, you remember that. Maybe it was you. Maybe it was you. Maybe there was a season of your life or maybe there was a season in somebody's life that, that you loved dearly that, man, religiously they checked every box. But while they were checking every box, they were making decisions that were hurting your family. And so Paul says, and this is the confusion in Paul's life at the beginning, as a, as a young guy that was a Pharisee and passionate about it, he just realized that this wasn't the, the way. That he had put so much time into the wrong thing. 
And when he met Jesus on his way to actually hurt and stop other Christians, he was literally on his way to do it. And he met Jesus and everything changed. And Paul goes on in verse 7 to talk about, hey, here's how everything changed. And here's what I really think now about a relationship with God and what's important. He says this in verse 7. He says, but everything that was gained to me, everything that back in the day I thought was a big deal, everything I put my effort and time, my blood, sweat, and tears into, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. See, when Paul met Jesus, his values totally changed. What he had previously literally given his life, his time for, was of no value to him anymore. He, he was so zealous and focused, and he realizes he was, he was so zealous and passionate and focused, but he realized I was passionate and focused and zealous for the wrong goal, a worthless goal. I mean, poor, poor Paul, he was the, and I remember this, I remember, felt so bad for this dude. I was on my way to Alabama, this is probably like four years ago, and I was, we were in the midst of getting ready to start City Walk, and I was going there to meet with some people that might support kind of our endeavors. And I was flying there, and, and just kind of close to me, there was this guy probably in his mid to late 50s, and he was super excited to go there. And, and I remember hearing him because he was so excited. He was telling everybody why he was excited. He's like, I'm going there to meet my girlfriend. I was like, oh, dude, good for you, buddy. Good for you. And then he started to talk more about his girlfriend. And he showed us a picture of his girlfriend. And I was like, but, and I didn't say this. I'm like, I'm going to let you ride this out. You're gonna, it's going to be ugly on the back end. But I'm telling you, buddy, that is not your girlfriend. And she is not waiting for you at the airport. He was so happy, so excited. And he gets there. And I'm getting myself. I, I kind of had forgotten about it. He gets there and we're at baggage and get baggage and, and my ride came and I, you know, got in my car and he was standing at the kind of baggage area, kind of waiting for a car to pick him up. And I felt so bad because I'm like, buddy, that girl is not coming to pick you up. I mean, you, you've been, you, I hope you didn't give her any money, buddy, because that girl, you, you've been going after something and you've been focused on something that is the wrong thing. It's not even real. And he was beginning to realize that. And, and Paul, he, he, he's sitting there, he's saying, you know what? I got catfished. Paul's like, man, I was going strong and I had this, man, so much focus on this one area and it was, man, all good. And then I realized it was not even real. Everything I was putting my time and effort into was empty and it wasn't even there. And Paul, he goes on in verse eight and he says this, he kind of talks about it more. He says, more than that, I also consider everything, all the things I've done in the past religiously to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. And he says this, and consider them as dung. And dung is a word that if I was to translate it for you, I'm not allowed to say the word in church. Like it's bad. I'll just say compost. We'll call it that. Just nastiness. 
Paul says, all the stuff I did before, all my pursuits at having a relationship with God, I've realized that all their value is nothing. They're basically compost, dung. He goes on, so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. And basically what Paul was so happy to have realized is that, you know what? All my pursuits to be righteous, all my pursuits to have a relationship with God, they were, they're compost, they're worthless. But he says, you know what? There was a ridiculous trade that took place. My one wheelbarrow of compost, I gave that up. And I got 10,000 wheelbarrows of gold from God. He said, man, I, I made this trade. This, I was trying to be righteous on my own, and my righteousness was basically compost. Everything I tried was worthless. But Jesus, in his graciousness, he traded me my sin, my unrighteousness, my unworthy pursuits for a treasure that I didn't ever work for. It was free. It was a beautiful trade. And he talks about that. And now because of he's, he's realized this, he says this in this next phrase. He says, now let me tell you what my goal is, what I'm aiming for. He says this, my goal is to know him. I, I want to know him. And, and he doesn't mean intellectually. Obviously, he knew, he knew more intellectually about God than anybody. So he's not talking about, I need more knowledge of God. He's saying, man, I want to know him intimately. I want to know him personally. I want to know him experientially. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to him in his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. He's basically saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the power that raised him from the dead that now I have access to in my own life to overcome sin. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is actually available to me. I want to know Jesus intimately. I want to know him. That's my goal now. I want to know him. And then he says this in verse 12, and I, I love that he says this because it's like, if anybody at that point in his life could say, you know what, I've checked that, I've, I've done, I know Jesus now. Paul, Paul would have been the guy. But here's what he says in verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal or am already perfect. What? Paul, you, you've been now following Jesus for 30 years. Paul, you have been part of literally laying the foundation to a movement that is now 2,000 years old that's not slow. You were part of the foundation of that. And you're telling me that, that you haven't arrived yet? You're telling me that you don't know Jesus the way you want to know him yet? He said, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I want to know him. I, I want to know him. And he says, not that I've already reached the goal or made perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And Paul, as he's thinking about this, he's, he's 
thinking about, he has an athletic mind. He's thinking about, and you see him refer to athletics and goals throughout his writings. And he's, he's thinking about an athlete. He's thinking about the focus, the passion, the discipline of an athlete. When he says, you know what? I haven't attained the closeness that I want, but I'm aiming after it. I'm focused on it. I'm, I discipline my life so that I can have that. I, I want that, and I'm willing to strategically go after it. It's not a casual pursuit. He says this. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, and I love what he says. He says, I have to forget what's behind. As I pursue Jesus and this intimacy with Jesus, part of making, seeing that happen is I got to forget some things. And for Paul, he had to forget a couple, man. He had to forget all the religious pursuits, all the boxes that he had checked that he's like, I forget this. I'm not putting my trust in that anymore. That was worthless. But here's what he also had to forget. Paul had to forget what it, what, what it felt like to actually kill someone. Because before he met Jesus, he was a part of killing people that were followers of Jesus. And so I don't, I don't know about you. Personally, to my knowledge, I've never killed anyone. But I would guess that if, if, if you had done what he had done, if you had thrown dads in jail and left their families without their father, if you had been there when Stephen was killed and you were a part of that, I would guess that that might weigh on your heart and mind. That may keep you up at night sometimes. And so for Paul, as he was pursuing Christ, he said, man, I have to forget what's behind because what's behind will hold me back from my goal. And some of you can relate, probably all of us. Because there's times in our life, whether you're watching online or whether you're here this morning, that you begin to pursue Christ and then the evil one says, what are you doing? You know what you used to do. You know what your life used to look like. What are you, what are you trying to do? Because Satan would love to discourage you. He would love to remind you of, of some of your past to hold you back from pursuing intimacy with Jesus. And Paul says, I I forget what's behind and I reach forward for what's ahead. I pursue as my goal. He's thinking of a finish line, the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. See, Paul, and this is so important because if you're if you're not careful, you say, I thought Paul said like human effort and going after things and doing all the work. He says that's worthless, but now he's talking about pursuing and discipline, effort. It kind of seems like, is he doing some of the same stuff? And here's the key. Paul understood that his effort did not gain him a relationship with God. Instead, his relationship with God is what motivated his effort. I like how Dallas Willard says it. He says this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Grace isn't opposed to you getting up 30 minutes early and reading your Bible. It's opposed to you saying, well, because I got up 30 minutes before you did, I have more favor with God than you do. I'm better than you. 
That's what, that's what it, God does not a big fan of. But Paul says, man, I, I disciplined myself. I, I pursued a relationship with God. I pursued intimacy. I had a goal in mind. And he reached for that goal from a place of unconditional love, a love that would never go away. He had grace that motivated him. He was not doing this to get grace. It was because of grace. It was because of unconditional love that he was pursuing Christ, not for it. He wasn't pursuing Christ so he could be unconditionally loved, so he could have grace. He was pursuing Christ because he already had that. And it's what motivated him. And Paul, as he, 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 he understood this, he, he understood that the most important thing he brought to the table was his relationship with God. If you read through all the things that Paul was a part of, and you read through the New Testament and a lot of his writings and just how he's impacted, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you buy into the whole Jesus thing or not, there's no doubting in history that this guy, Paul, made a huge impact. And I believe if Paul was here today, he would say, at the foundation to everything that I did, at the foundation of me helping other people pursue God's best was my personal intimacy with Jesus. That's what was most important to all the things I was able to be a part of. At the beginning, I shared with you how I was a naive and overprotective dad. I told you about that a few minutes ago. I wanted to keep my son safe. I wanted to provide an opportunity for, for him to flourish. I wanted to be a great dad. Nothing wrong with that, for sure. You want the same things. And if you're not a parent yet, you will want the same things. But more than all the things that I tried to do and be for him, the best thing I could do for my son is pursue God. The best thing I can do for my wife is pursue God. The best thing I can do for my parents, for my extended family, is personally pursue intimacy with God. And the same is true for you. No matter what role you play in your family, the, the best thing, the thing that will make the greatest impact in your family, the people you love the most, is your personal pursuit of God. It's the thing that if you will focus on being faithful in your relationship with God, it's the thing that your family and those you love the most need from you most. Because, and we said this earlier, we can't change a heart. We, we have no control over results. All we can do is be faithful to God and what he puts in front of us. And then those that we love the most... They have to make their own decisions. But, but we have this opportunity to be faithful. And as we're faithful with what God gives us, as we live a faithful example of what pursuing Jesus looks like, we put our family in the best position for God's best. And again, it's up to them to make a decision. It's up to them to follow that path. That's their business. But hopefully we give them a path to follow. And so let's, let's make this thing personal with that in mind. Let, let's personalize this a little bit. I'm going to put a statement up on the, on the screen. I'm actually not. Greg is. Thank you, Greg. So 
I position my, you, you fill in the blank, girlfriend, grandson, daughter, wife, you, you fill in the blank. I position my, you fill in the blank, for God's best when I pursue intimacy with God. I position, and you put their name in there, you put who they are in your life for God's best when I pursue intimacy with God. But let's, let's turn the, the statement around. Let's say it this way. I pursue my, and you put, put it in there, my, my son, my dad, my nephew, my niece, you, you put it in there, to miss God's best when I pursue something other than intimacy with God. When there's something else in my life that I'm pursuing greater than my relationship with God, then I am putting the people I love the most in a spot to miss God's best in their life. And again, they have to make their own decisions. But when I don't pursue God, when that example isn't there, when I'm not spirit-led, when I'm not praying for them, and when I'm not following Jesus in my own life, I'm not doing what I could do to position my family for God's best. And so, so maybe you're here or you're watching online and you say, okay, I get it, Chris. I get it. I can't control the results. I get it. All I can do is be faithful. Okay. So how do I do that? How do I take steps to pursue intimacy the way Paul did? Let me give you two words. And this is what we're going to close with. Two words that if you're like, okay, yeah, I, I can't. The result thing, it's, it's been weighing me down. I've been trying to manage results in people's lives. I'm discouraged. I'm worried. I can't make them change. I love them to death, but they're making bad decisions. Okay, I, I get it. I'm going to lean into faithfulness. I'm going to lean into pursuing Christ in my own life. Let me give you two words that I think are important to that pursuit. The first one is this, humility. It's this idea that says, God... I need you. This is where Paul was. Paul was 30 years into following Jesus. He was 30 years into planting churches, to writing what we now have as scripture. And yet he said, I haven't attained it. I, I, I need to know Jesus. I want to know him more. There was a humility about him. And, and whether you like being humble or not, God responds to humility. God responds to someone that says, I need you. I depend on you. And so I think as you think about pursuing Jesus personally, this idea of humility should be part of that pursuit. This, you know what? I've never arrived. And here's what this does. It's what makes a gathering like this so beautiful. There's no all-stars. Nobody's here that has it all together. In fact, the first thing you see on our website is this, no perfect people allowed. If you think you have it all together, don't come here because we'll mess you up. I'm telling you, so you probably need to go find a different church because this is just a gathering of people that are on different places in their walk that are just trying to pursue Jesus. And some of you, maybe not even there yet, you're just trying to investigate whether you want to pursue Jesus. And so this idea of humility, this I need you, has to be part of that pursuit. But maybe the second word is this. And you see this with Paul, intentionality. I'm going to make you a priority. 
yeah, humility, I need you, God, I, I need you, but, but you know this, any relationship you have, intimacy doesn't happen accidentally in any relationship. So we have to make time. We have to be intentional. If really pursuing Jesus is important, it's not going to just happen by you putting your Bible under your pillow at night. Maybe that works for you. It hasn't worked for me. Maybe this week I'm like, I'm not going to study. I'm just going to put my Bible under my pillow and then hope something's ready for Sunday. I don't think that would work well. And, and so it's this idea of intentionality saying, yes, man, I need you, Jesus, but I'm, I'm going to put some things in my schedule to pursue you. For me, that's in the morning. Uh, I get up in the morning. This morning, I spent some time in 1 Peter. Not a lot of time, but I just, it's just some intentional time in the morning. It's some intentional prayers that I have. I have a, in my iPad, you could go, or my iPhone, you could see I have just fall prayer requests. And I pray for you. I pray for my family. I pray for our ch- just a, different things I pray for. My small group, I meet on Wednesdays. That's part of the intentionality. There's Wednesday, and I've told you this, and I hope my group's not offended by this. There's some Wednesday nights I don't want to come. And I love all the people in my group, but there's some Wednesday nights it's like, I just would rather eat a donut and stay home and watch the game and maybe drink a ginger ale. I'm good. But I, but I come on Wednesday nights, and every time I come, I'm thankful I did. And it's, it's intentionality. It's, it's putting yourself in places and making time in your schedule. Maybe for you it means getting up 15 minutes early. Maybe for you it means setting aside some of your lunch break to pursue Jesus and read Scripture or listen to Scripture. Intentionality. And again, we don't do this for God's favor. We do this from God's favor. We already have His favor. We already have His unconditional love. We already have grace, so we pursue him from it, not for it. I said this earlier, our families need us. And here's what's pretty cool. In God's sovereign plan, as he looked over all of eternity, he decided that you would be in the family that you're in, that you would be the mom, that you would be the son, that you would be and play the role you're playing right now. And he did that with the intention of his goal to make you more like Jesus. And so no matter what role you play in your family, your family needs you. Because God's goal for every person in your family is that they become more like Jesus. And he put you in that family to be part of that process, just like he did me. And for some of us, and I know I have, man, some of that is responding well to your own failures and and asking forgiveness. Some of it's laying a foundation of some maybe daily habit, whatever that looks like. But you're in your family for a reason. Your family needs you. At the end of the day, the greatest thing we can give those we love the most is the example of a close not perfect, but close, intimate relationship with Jesus. It's the best thing that you can give your son, your mom, your girlfriend. It's the best thing you can give them is an example of someone who 
who pursues Jesus. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online. But if you're here and you would say, Chris, man, there's been a time in my life when I have become a follower of Jesus. I've believed that Jesus died for me, that he rose from the grave, that I've started a relationship with him. There's a time in your life when that's happened. Maybe you're watching online and you would say, yeah, that's, there's been a time in my life when I've followed Jesus. Let me ask you, just in the quietness of this room with every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anything that's hindering your pursuit of God right now? Just, just it, be willing to ask that question honestly. You don't have to tell anybody that answer, but just for yourself. Like, is there anything in my life right now that's hindering my pursuit of God? Just in the quietness of this room, would you be willing to set that aside and really begin to pursue Jesus? Do it with humility, do it with intentionality. Would you be willing to just set that aside? It might mean getting up a little early to pursue Jesus. It might mean taking some time out of your schedule at lunch to do that. It might mean getting into a group. Are you willing to set aside the things that are holding you back and begin to pursue Jesus with humility and intentionality? It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it for you. It'll be worth it for your family. I promise you, 20 years from now, you will not look back and say, I wish I wouldn't have done that. You may look back 20 years from now and say, man, why did I miss that? Why was I focused on the wrong goal when my family needed faithfulness? Maybe you're here this morning or you're watching online and you'd say, Chris, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus yet. I'm kind of investigating faith and maybe you were hurt by the church. You're not quite sure what you believe, but you're kind of leaning in. For you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, man, the, the first step for you, man, is to start that relationship with God. He went to great, a gr great lengths, to great extent, to provide way for you to have a relationship with Him. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you'd say, Chris, today is the day. Today's the day that I want to pursue Jesus. Today's the day that I want to start a relationship with God through Jesus. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you can do that right now. Say, Chris, how do I do it? Just simple. It's just, just pray. And prayer is just telling God what we believe in our heart. And so just in the quietness of this room, not out loud, just in your heart between you and God, just, just tell him something like this. Say, God, I admit I've sinned. I admit I've done things my own way. I admit I need you. Just tell God, just in the quietness of your heart. Then just, just tell him. God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That they put his body in a grave and that he rose from the grave. Just tell God. And then just invite him. Say, God, 
come into my life transform me I want a relationship with you just tell him with every head bowed and every eye closed if, if this morning whether you're online or you're here you made that decision man we're so excited for you and we'd love to know about it if you're watching online you can go to citywalk.cc and there's a little decision card that you can fill out and, and we'll find out that you made that decision we'll maybe send you a text or just call you once just to check in on you if you're here this morning there's a card right in front of you that says decision and if this morning you made a decision to follow Jesus would you just fill that card out in this while this last song is going on and then on your way out just put it in the next steps at the next steps table or maybe in the offering basket you can just slide it in there we'd love to like I said call or text you and just find out if you have any questions and really just celebrate with you God we need you we, we want to be a source of encouragement and hope for our families for the people we love the most. And God, I pray that today, and I'm praying this for myself, that you would show me areas of my life that are hindering that. And God, I pray that I and those that are hearing this would have the courage to remove those things and begin pursuing you fully. God, we love our families and we love you and we want our families to love you. And so, God, we pray that you would use us to see that happen. In Jesus' name, amen.